you know, in my experience, I think so many people overestimate the impact that their personality or like the innate traits of who they are has on the actions that they engage in and the choices that they make um, and the way they engage with other people in the world um, and really underestimate the impact that the environment has on them and on the way they think about themselves. Greetings fellow explorers and welcome to the 18th episode of Geekoscopy 101, the podcast that explores the nexus between science, story, wonder and philosophy with me, your host, Dr. Janusz Kirsten. In this episode, we are exploring cognitive science, science communication, fantasy and D&D together in a single podcast. Yes, today we're exploring the magic of the mind with podcaster and cognitive science communicator Morgan Sweeney. Let's get into the show. All right, welcome to the show, Morgan. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It is really interesting. I, I watched a, a couple of, of your your episodes of Magic of the Mind and I was quite enthralled. I enjoyed it. <laughs> I need to schedule to listen the, to the rest. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really inciting exciting no then i'm just coining new words on this podcast exciting and interesting um <laughs> and i can't wait to hear about the whole conception of it so why don't you tell us a bit about who you are in this moment and what you do absolutely yeah so um i well went into college um thinking i wanted to do neuroscience because i'd always loved biology psychology um a lot of the harder sciences and then i got there and i really you know enjoyed learning about everything but the the more kind of I learned, the more questions I had. Um, and so I ended up switching from just a pure like hard science, neuroscience to a more interdisciplinary um, cognitive science. So I got to take classes in philosophy and linguistics and um, computer science actually was also part of my degree and just learn about what it means to think. I mean, so I've always been curious about people and about how people work and why they make the decisions that they do and why they are the way they are and who they are and what that means and how and why that changes. And I think it was just such a cool space for me to explore all these questions I had about people and the way we interact with the world um, and to look at it from so many different perspectives of, you know, from a biological perspective, how our brains and our like neurons interact with the world around us, but also emotionally, like, what we think about the world around us and how that might differ from like what is actually there. Um, mm. And it was just, I don't know. It was such a cool space with so many interesting people and fascinating theories and just things that I always felt like I could take home with me. I think my biggest issue, you know, with school when I was just growing up as a kid was like so often I felt like I would learn things that just didn't feel like they would mean anything mm. or like help me in life at all. Um, that's one of the things I love about, you know, what I studied was it, after every, you know, psychology class, I would come home and be like, oh, this is how my brain works. This is a possible way that I, you know, see the world or change the way that I engage with other people. And it's been super, super cool to do that. Mm -hmm. So after, uh, I suppose, at the end of your, your time studying um, cognitive science, you decided to start a podcast to actually teach cognitive science, but using story and fantasy, and that ended up in the Magic of the Mind podcast. So why don't you tell us a bit about um, the whole premise? What is the Magic of the Mind podcast? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So even when I was in undergrad, I always loved learning about these things. It was always so exciting for me to like learn something new about myself and my mind and like the world around me and how I engage with it. Um, but I think day to day, part of me knew that what I enjoyed doing more than just pure research, um, or, you know, just pure reading and writing was just talking to people and Mm -hmm. telling stories that really engaged people and communicated concepts that, you know, objectively might have felt kind of inaccessible or unimportant, um, but trying to format these ideas that have power um, into forms that people would actually engage with. Um, And so growing up, um, fantasy was like my favorite genre of book, movie, TV, like everything. I just love, love, love fantasy because I felt like every story was so centered and grounded on um who the characters were and like what was happening in the plot um I felt like each story just would kind of grab you and suck you into that world and you would have so much to explore so much to do so many people to connect with and like beautiful landscapes and and like there was just so much it was such a rich um genre that I always felt incredibly engaged by um and so I really wanted to make kind of a fantasy story that would talk about things that I thought were interesting and that would allow me to take concepts that I had loved and like learned about and had changed the way I saw the world um, and like tell people about them, but not through like a classroom or like a textbook through fantasy stories. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning um, of the podcast and the whole D and D part was just kind of happenstance. Um, a guy I started dating my second year of school uh, was actively involved in a Dungeons and Dragons group. And, you know, every Sunday he would like meet with his group and he, it was like the highlight of his week. Like he was always so happy afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, I'd always been into fantasy. So D and D was something that had kind of been like something I was interested in tangentially, but nothing I was going to seek out on my own. Um, but then, you know, someone ended up leaving his group, a spot opened up, I joined and just loved it. I think, you know, acting, performing, collaboration um there's so many aspects of D that and just the people who i played with were so fun and like such like became really good friends of mine um it just yeah so that that just kind of ended up like i knew i wanted to write a fantasy story with concepts from cognitive science written in and i just didn't know what the form would be but then once i was playing D, i had a character from my D group i had you know a world we built up um and a whole huge amount of lore to draw from that just kind of made sense to me of like oh i'm just gonna set it in the world dungeons and dragons use the character i already have have friends of mine come on as like guest characters um hmm. just to make it a more collaborative effort sure i mean it sounds really interesting that's the i think always the interesting about dnd um, well, the interesting thing about D and D is it's so collaborative inherently, mm-hmm. and it's and it's so creative. You you're creating your mm-hmm. own your own story, and it, I find it very interesting when people take that you know that art and and create other things um, from it. Um, did you guys mm-hmm. ever ever think of uh, like streaming your D and D game, or is it very too personal? <laughs> I just think, yeah, it, it was just, you know, like four or five of us just like, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not against the idea. I just don't think there's anyone who would care to listen <laughs> because it's just the four of us like messing around. And I mean, to be, there are some D&D podcasts. It's literally just a bunch of comedians messing around and it's like mm. so enthralling and incredible to listen to. Um, and I love my friends. I think they're all so funny. And when they come on the show, they're mm. hilarious. I just, 
I don't know. Just the idea of editing like a two or four hour because, you know, they're yeah. pretty long that yeah. I would just like that was not ever something I was interested <laughs> in doing, which is why I chose. Well, one reason why I chose audio fiction, because it's, yeah. it's scripted. Um, so yeah. it's you know what's going to happen. And, you know, we do improv on yeah. the fly. Like and when it's friends of mine who are super funny, like we'll we'll like, you know, ad lib a bit. And those are some of the best moments usually. Um, but lord editing is such a yeah. <laughs> such a big endeavor and i can't imagine having that much material to start with to start with yeah no it, it is it is a big thing it's it's not a easy uh endeavor to do and my stupid ass is is thinking of, of starting a dnd stream but it's it's not going to be a regular thing it's going to be weird but that's a story for another day so mm-hmm. What is the <laughs> what is the reception mm-hmm. for the show been like? What are you hearing from um, listeners, uh, from other people, maybe in the cognitive science fields? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely been. I remember when I was just I had the idea before I'd even made anything, and I was telling people like, "Yeah, I want to make um, a fantasy podcast that like talks about different like." cognitive science concepts people were like oh it sounds really interesting like i would definitely want to check that out um i think it's one of those just the idea of it is so different and out there mm. than anything well at the time when i was producing i, I thought wow no one's ever made anything like this now that i'm more in the mm. space i know you know um dugongs and sea dragons and there there's so many awesome like fantasy education sort of crossovers so many people that are using the power of stories and especially fantasy stories to communicate concepts and to educate others um which is amazing but before i got into the space i was like well it's unique it's different and it still is you know every you know every application is completely different from others that have come before just because the person who's doing it you know my voice is super different from like everyone else's voice um and but no so initially before i had even made anything people were really supportive um but then once i actually started making it on my like that was much scarier for me of like i'm right like i'm like birthing a child like it's you know i'm creating something um Mm. with friends obviously but it's a very like creative like personal process like writing and scripting and you know um building a story around like a, a a concept in psychology or cognitive like a very some of the concepts were more tangible some of them were like language um and like relationships like those are pretty understandable but then i made an episode like attention and perception it's like what am i gonna do with that um so so then once the show actually came out um i one of my favorite compliments which (laughs) this might come across as kind of weird but it was a friend of mine who um like came listened to the first episode and he was like it was so good that i wasn't even like, I didn't even realize it was you. Like, mm-hmm. I was so into character that he listened to my voice and completely got lost in the world I'd created and forgot. Because I think, you know, if you've ever listened to something that a family member or a really close friend of yours has produced, you want to be supportive just because you love them and because you don't want to crush their dreams. Um, mm-hmm. And I am so grateful that I have friends and family members who are like that, who will support me no matter whether or not what I do is good. Um, but it did mean a lot to me that this was like, not even a cl- like an acquaintance who was like, you know, I was just going to like compliment it and say like, yeah, it's great. But like, I actually was really pulled in and I totally forgot it was you who was making like it, this sounded like 
a genuine, you know, I was a senior in college at the time. So it was like, this sounded like a real podcast I would listen to. Um, so that was very exciting feedback for me. Um, after that, yeah, I mean, a lot of people who just really like different, everyone has their own favorite episode, depending on like what topic they're more interested in. Um, mm. So like my older sister who loves languages, loves the first episode, every episode that comes out, she's like, it was great, but I don't think I'll ever like anything as much as the first episode, which is valid but from my perspective like the sound design gets so much better i I script better the characters become like more multi-dimensional as the show goes on so it's yeah i mean people across the board have been incredibly supportive um but you know i think anytime you do something creative um it's a scary endeavor and you really you you need that support from people around you i don't think i would have been able to produce it had it not been for a number of people who were like wow this is a valuable idea and i think this is something you should do um and it's still you know we're still trying to grow and reach our audience we're producing season two right now um but yeah it's i don't know it's been incredibly fulfilling in that way of like people not only love the idea but have really enjoyed the implementation of it because there's a lot of ways to have a great idea and to make some like to make something nothing you make will ever be as good as the perfect idea you have. Like that's I think a reality you have to come to pretty early on in the creative process. Um, but I think having an actual thing that you're still happy with, even though it's not perfect or it's not, you know, the amazing idea you first started with, um, that's really what I've enjoyed from it. It's just making something that makes me feel good and that I enjoy and that um the people that you know, are interested in it also enjoy and are like, when's season two coming out? So that, that mm. means a lot to me. Mm. Do you record everything and, and release it in one go? Do you record everything and then release it in episodes? Yeah. So um, for season one, I, I typically work one episode at a time because mm. um, the structure of the podcast. So the way it works is like, I take a psychological concept and I write it into the plot of a story. As you know, this is for your listeners who haven't heard. Mm. Um, and then each story is accompanied by an interview um, with a scientist and expert who studies that topic to give sort of more background knowledge into like what this concept is and how it actually works in the world. And also to give a little bit of context into like what a scientist sounds like. And like, just to give, you know, they're people mm -hmm. who study this and like, they're interested by these questions, but they're not, you know, just because they have PhDs doesn't mean they're like totally different from mm. anyone who doesn't. So it's it's kind of to give a peek behind the scenes and be like, this is how science is done. Often it's like happy accidents and just a lot of work and a lot of going through data until something works out. Um, mm. And it's also just to, to give, because I think the fantasy story is a ton of fun to create. Um, and sometimes the the concepts are a bit more subtle. They're usually like a central like plot in the conflict. Um, but having the interview with the fantasy story, I think, really allows people to not just, like, listen and enjoy, but also to take something home with them and be like, ah, yes, now I know, like, you know, how how important relationships are to me or, like, why mm. I feel sad more strongly than I feel happy, these sorts of things. Like, takeaway messages people can take with them. Um, what was the question? I got down on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just wondering about your, your production schedule. Um, but yeah, and That's right. Yeah, so I usually do um, one episode at a time, and that's because... I have a psychological concept and an interview that I'm producing at the same time. So it's easier for me to just be like, I am doing this um, and just focusing on like language attention and then moving on to the next subject afterwards. Mm. That was for season one, kind of how I approach it. And I think that was good for me psychologically and that I didn't feel like strung across too far. Um, mm. Season two. Well, and you know, there's a, there's a meta narrative that I do have to outline before jumping in because I, I'm, there are people out there who just like write and don't know where the story is going to go. I'm not one of those people. I like, I don't like 
but I outline before I script so that I know mm. kind of this is what this character is going to do so that we can end up here so that it still feels like a cohesive narrative, um, yeah. not just a bunch of like small stories. Um, for season two, yeah, it's been a lot more collaborative. So it's a lot of like reaching out to people, um, brainstorming, scripting, uh, recording, editing. And it's, yeah, it's a similar like one by one. But I think what I'm doing for season two is I'm just recording and just basically making the rough cut of everything, having all the dialogue where it needs to be having all the interviews, like the important parts where they need to be. Um, and then I'm going to, at the end of all the recording, probably just go through and sound design everything at once. Um, I think sound design is some of my favorite part of the workflow is like putting in mm-hmm. music and sound effects. And it's one of the things that I think really distinguishes audio fiction and audio drama from, um, other types of podcasts, other types of audio mm-hmm. creations. Um, and so I think, yeah, giving myself enough time to do that um, will really make me feel good about like the episode that I'm putting out into the world. Um, mm. And yeah, so I think for season two, I'm probably like batching it in that way. Like I'm, I'm holding on to everything. And then at the end, I plan on releasing them probably two weeks apart, maybe one week apart. We'll see how the workflow is going at that point. But um, yeah, now I'm doing all the production at the beginning versus last time I was doing production like one by one and releasing um sort of every two weeks and then COVID happened so then I had to take a break but um yeah so production schedule because it's a you know it's a seasonal show it's a it's a fiction it's not like an interview mm-hmm. where you know you only do one recording like I have to get a whole bunch of people and schedules so it takes it takes a lot longer I think than I anticipated and that I think most podcasters who don't produce um audio fiction would expect um but yeah, but it's, you know, it's all part of the fun and it, I really like the way it turns out. And I, I think it, it's something really cool, just making a completely fictional story um, online, like available to everyone. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's really cool. Sounds like a lot of work. Um, <laughs> but do you, <laughs> well, it always is. Creative processes are always, uh, it's, it's a labor of, of love, I suppose. Um, do you do your interviews with the scientists before recording or after recording? Great question. Um, and it honestly just depends on the topic. So for season one, the first three topics um, were like language, attention and perception, and then memory. Um, and those were concepts that I'd learned a lot about in like my college classes that I felt like I knew enough about that I could write them into the script, just knowing what the concepts were and feeling like I could build off of those um, and then doing the interview after the fact so that I could be, so that I could tell the, like, I could tell the interviewer, Hey, this is something that happens in the episode. What does this look like in real life? Um, but then for the second half of the season, we went into emotions, relationships, and identity, which were three concepts that I hadn't really learned as much about, um, that I wanted more background knowledge in. Um, so for those ones, I did do the recordings before writing the episode. Um, and you, you kind of notice a shift in tone. And I do, I do say that, um, in the interviews, like, um, what was before, what was after, but I think, and so for season two, I think it's kind of a combination of like, I think generally we know what the episode, like we write the episode independently and we have the ideas of like what are the concepts we want to communicate what are the general things we want to touch on um what do we think is important and what do we want to come across to our audience um and then 
the interview allows us to kind of dive deeper into those and to give more context and to kind of explore them a little more. Um, so I would say for season two, definitely we're scripting first. We're like outlining the main points, scripting the episode, then going into the interview and allowing the professor to give like background. But I think there's more flexibility for the expert to like, you know, share more things that they're interested in and more cool to- like facts about whatever the topic is in this way, because then it's less constrained by like, this is what we did. What do you think? Um, it's more, more open-ended of like, these are some things we talked about. What's your experience with this? What do you mm-hmm. think, like, what are ways we can take this into our own life? It's a little bit more, um, yeah, integrated because of the episode's been pre-written. For sure, yeah. I was just wondering whether, like, a chat with the scientists might change yeah. the narrative in, in some way. Yeah, I mean, and if there is something we've gotten wrong, we definitely will go back and do that. But usually, before writing an episode, I, I usually do research um, or, you know, look back through my notes or whatever to make sure it is. Um, and that's one of the big reasons we decided to have an expert, like, an interview, just to make sure that I wasn't miscommunicating anything or misconstruing anything or leaving room for... Um, you know, ambiguity where there really shouldn't have been. So beside the, the D&D setting, what are some of your other big inspirations for the show, whether it's fantasy or other podcasts, anything to do with the production? Like, what are your major draws for inspiration? Absolutely. Yeah. So on the fantasy side, um, the Kingkiller Chronicles, which is like the name of the wind and the wise men's sphere, the two that are out, we're still waiting for the third one and anyone who has read the series knows how frustrating it is that we're still waiting eight years later um <laughs> oh, geez, but that is eight years <laughs> this guy and it's a fantastic it's incredibly well written so mm. poetic um it's taught in a it's told in a first person perspective so it's, it's an i story which i've i've always found to be the most like that resonated with me the most is first person narratives like this is my story this is what I did um which is one of the reasons that Eve my character is also the narrator um because I just you create such a close bond with that protagonist and I think that really Mm. you know I think the heart of storytelling is characters and connections to other people or animals or things but just connection basically and so having a a narrator that's your main character really heightens that for me um and just such poetic descriptions and an incredibly well thought out and tangible world um, are all the things in the Kingkiller Chronicles that I love and that I really try to write into my podcast. Um, and just really just fun characters and like silly side scenes and like I don't know just just an atmosphere that feels upbeat. Um, there are definitely dark parts of the Kingkiller Chronicles that I haven't brought as much into my podcast, but um, yeah, that's on the fantasy side that for sure. Um, on the podcasting side. And kind of the science communication side, um, Radio Lab was the podcast that got me into podcasts. I think like Radio Lab was just the most amazing science pod. I mean, they just they would take these concepts like right and wrong, or like the value of life, or um, you know, lying and telling the truth. Just like really abstract, interesting concepts that are so you know, ingrained, like, such parts of our everyday lives but that we don't take a lot of time to, like, consciously consider. Um, mm. And they would just create art. Like, they would, you know, splice interviews with experts with, like, personal narratives from people who have, like, really great, um, like, experiences with these topics with, you know, some good old-fashioned, like, just radio, just, like, Jad and Robert just, like, talking and, like, chilling. Um, 
and it just and the sound design i think what really set radio Lab apart at least to me and still does um is the sound design that they have i think there are so many incredible long-form journalism podcasts that tell incredible stories and use the voices of people who study these things who have experienced these things and intersplice in such a creative manner but i think to me at least when i first started listening what really set radio Lab apart was the way that the music and the sound made you feel like you were experiencing the thing they were talking or really just hearing people talk is in itself an amazing thing but layering the music and the sound design over that makes you feel it on a level that I think is completely different um than just hearing someone's voice tell a story um and mm. it, I, that was a, one of the really big reasons I wanted to do audio fiction is because I really wanted to have that sound design and that extra element that it really brings to the listener when you're when you're hearing you're not just hearing a story you're imagining it in your mind because the sounds are making it real around you not just something you're listening to through your headphones um yeah those are the big things i loved about audio fiction um in the audio fiction space um i loved welcome to night veil that was definitely my first um podcast in the audio fiction space that i listened Mm. to um and Dungeons and Daddies too is like definitely a favorite of mine. And just I don't know having that combination of charisma and um, just like fun character relationships uh, and just a really well fleshed out world um, and just intriguing, you know, intriguing plot points. But I'd say at the heart of it, what I what I love about podcasts and why why I love making podcasts and listening to podcasts is the people that you get to hear and you get to meet and you get to connect with. Um, and that was really what I was trying to make with my podcast. It's, yeah, it's quite a breadth of uh, inspirations you have. And I've heard of some of them. I've, I've listened to a few episodes of Radio Lab. They are quite cool. Um, never listened to Dungeons <laughs> and Daddies, but I've heard about it. Um, the only D&D podcast. I... It's so funny. If you like D&D podcasts. I'll give it a try but I mean like watching <laughs> Critical Role already takes out like a big chunk of my week and then I recently true yeah you can only have so many D&D podcasts <laughs> yeah and I recently went back and, and rewatched some uh, Acquisitions Incorporated and that put me in a better mood but uh, yeah I'll, I'll check out Dungeons and Daddies at some point um, so while you were you know, recording and, and writing and scripting out things. What were the, some of the major um, either setbacks or kind of um, challenges that you faced um, that you might be able to share with people so that they don't do those things, maybe? Uh, yeah, so what were the stumbling blocks that you overcame? Absolutely. And it's actually, I think... It's really interesting because for me, a lot of the biggest challenges weren't necessarily like in the work itself. Like before I started podcasting, I thought audio editing and like sound design was going to be so hard and so challenging. And it wasn't easy. Like I definitely had to try and fail and try again. But, you know, it's one Mm. of those things you just get better with over time as you watch more YouTube tutorials and ask Google a million questions. Um, But it's actually, at least in my experience, the hardest thing about making a podcast and especially like a really time intensive one, like the one I do, isn't actually making the podcast. Like for me, I love scripting. I love court. Like I love talking to people. I love making this thing happen. The hardest part is like working it into my everyday life is figuring Mm. out like, where am I going to make this time to make sure I'm able 
to script where how am I going to schedule it so I'm able to record with this person who's only available at this time um how you know how am I going to fit 10 hours of editing into this week where I'm already working 40 hours and you know making dinner three nights eat like it's it's less of a problem of like actually you know when I'm script, I love, like, once I start scripting, it's great. I'm having a great time. Once I start editing, again, I love it. And I'm, once I'm starting it, I'm there. Mm. I think the hardest thing for me is just finding the time for it and, like, really marking that out and making sure I'm only working on podcasts during that time. And I think just forcing myself to start, um, really just making sure there's an incentive for me and someone who's, like, not, like, checking up on me, but, like, who who care, who's like they're kind of like I don't like, like an, a, account, accountability, accountability I guess making sure there's someone who's holding me accountable mm. for my actions when it comes to this show because again I love making this show and there are people who really enjoy it but you know when you have to you know when it's like 8 p.m. on a Sunday and you're like well I could work or I could you know it's it's easy to be like well I could just watch like one episode of something else and then not do it um so I think the biggest the biggest thing that has helped me personally in like making that workflow fit into my life better and like keeping that accountability is having a friend um that I so co-work with so like we'll we'll at a certain time every day we hop on a zoom call we chat for like five minutes about our lives like catch up and then we work the rest of the hour um just on like projects that we both have and it's really not only is it a friend that like I love and I love seeing so like I always want to talk to her so just you know having that like having her there and knowing that like that's almost a reward for me like getting to see my friend um really makes me show up and sit down and just start whatever it is um and then once I've started, it's fine. But that's, I, so that's been the biggest thing for me is like, how do I get myself to start and just put in the time and make this happen? Um, and so having someone I meet with or someone who, you know, at set times, like we, it's at the same time every day, five days a week, um, that we do it together and a couple evenings a week as well. So that's really made the biggest difference for me is just having that set time and having someone there to encourage me and reward, not, not like, but like reward me, like make me feel good and feel like I'm doing something valuable. Cause sometimes, you know, my intrinsic motivation isn't quite enough, um, to put in the amount of time that it just takes to produce a podcast like this. Yeah. That sounds like a really good tip. I think I need to also indulge in one of those. Get me a, it's hard dude. Partner. people who don't make podcasts, <laughs> like think it's like, you're just chatting on a microphone and you are, but there's so much in post-production and like, if yeah. you're scripting and, like it's not a small time commitment and you really have to set aside time for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean just getting a hold of people, scheduling. I mean, it's that mm -hmm. that time that you use for recording and editing afterwards. It's and then all the social media marketing that goes into it. It it's a lot. Oh yeah. Um it's I wouldn't a lot. say I wouldn't say it's I mean, my version of podcast is probably the easiest version, uh, but it's still a lot. So I, I, I can imagine like super hyper like production value like yours. I, I can only imagine and not envy you uh, at all. <laughs> not want to be you at all. <laughs> um, so when it comes to uh, your time studying cognitive science, like what were some of the things that you learned that you think everyone should know like what should be general knowledge that just isn't so something i think everyone should know and i think this is something a lot of people kind of know but not to the extent that um 
is really reflected in uh, everyday life <laughs> um, is how much of an impact um, our environment plays on who we are and the actions we engage in. Um, I think, and you know, this is something that's still being debated in the field of neuroscience and psychology and cognitive science in general. Um, you know, the, the nature versus nurture question has gone on since the beginning of time and there still isn't, you know, an exact percentage or an exact answer. But, um, you know, in my experience, I think so many people overestimate the impact that their personality or like the innate traits of who they are has on the actions that they engage in and the choices that they make um, and the way they engage with other people in the world um, and really underestimate the impact that the environment has on them and on the way they think about themselves and the actions that they take. I mean, same thing. You know, for an example, like if you are someone who spends a ton of time on your phone um, and you're like, well, it's just because, you know, I'm addicted to my phone. I have like I'm inherently like I have an addictive personality. I just you know, this is something this is a part of who I am. I'm someone who's on my phone a lot. Well, they've actually done studies that like instead of keeping your phone on some like a place where you can see it, where it's like visually accessible, like on your desk or, you know, out on a table, if instead you put it in a pocket or in a drawer, like a pocket of your backpack or in a drawer in your dresser or something, and it wasn't visually accessible to your brain, you would just pick it up a lot less. Like you would in that context, you know, cause beforehand your environment was giving you this cue, your phone's out, you hear it ring, you hear something happen, you go pick it up, you're on your phone for however long. And it happens mm. a lot more often because it's there in your environment. However, if you put it in a drawer, if you put it away, you're not visually seeing it. You won't like, that's not a cue your environment's giving you anymore. You're not just going to pick up your phone. You have to actively seek out your cell phone. Um, and then you'll be on your phone a lot less because it's not, you know, your environment's not showing you it anymore. You're not, there's no longer that cue for that action that you engage in. Um, and so I think, and this is across the board. I mean, so many things that we do day to day that we think are, and you know, in large parts, they are pieces of ourselves. The things we do shape who we are, um, and shape how we inter interact with the world, but changing even just a small thing about your environment, like can really alter the way you behave in that environment. And I think, you know, pre COVID days, a lot of people <laughs> understood like, yeah, when I'm at work, I'm like doing work. Whereas when I'm at home, I'm, you know, relaxing, doing things at home. It's actually a really profound impact that, um, it can have on your mental state and the way you engage with things in your environment. And I think this is definitely something I've tried to bring into my own life of like, if my space if my physical space around me is messy, if there's stuff everywhere, if, you know, it's dark, if it's cold, if there are things there that make me not, that make me worry about something that isn't the thing I'm supposed to be focusing on, I'm just not going to be able to focus. Like, and that's not because I don't have good focus or because I'm not good at doing work or like any of these things. It's like, no, I haven't set myself up for success. My environment isn't helping me do this. It's not... <clears throat> about me so I think this is one of the biggest things that I, I have found really helpful for my own everyday life and for kind of being nicer to myself when it comes to um engaging in actions that I want to do is not being like oh it's my fault like I'm not motivated enough to work out or I'm not you know motivated enough to eat healthy it has nothing to do with your motivation it has everything to do with like literally what's there in your environment like if your chips are out on the table and your vegetables are in the fridge it's all easier to get chips than it is to like go into your mm -hmm. fridge and cut up a carrot like 
so much of the decisions we make are subconscious. And so really making sure that you're able to, um, I guess, take control of those, just be more aware of what decisions you're subconsciously making um, and allowing yourself to choose if those are decisions you still want to make. And if not, figuring out how you can reshape your environment to encourage yourself to do the things that you want to do. Um, I think there's so much psychology and design in, and especially in COVID when you're at home all the time and like shaping your environment to be a place that allows you to be the version of yourself that you want to be. Um, and yeah, like adjusting your cues and like visual input accordingly all input but especially visual input because we're visual creatures so we're more attracted to like seeing something on a table than like hearing a sound for example or like you know smelling something like if you smell something bad it's annoying but like it's fine whereas if you see a flashing light it's really hard to look away for sure i suppose that's where the (laughs) the the notion of out of sight out of mind comes from and i suppose you get exactly apply that in reverse as well Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah like if you hide something away from yourself you'll do it you'll forget about it like if you put your weights mm-hmm. in the back of your closet you're probably not going to work out as much um and that's just part of human nature and it's nothing wrong with who you are it's just the way we work indeed what do you think about the current landscape of uh, science communication um do you think we are doing enough do you think there's room for improvement do you think that stuff people are doing wrong or scientists at least and what's your overall thoughts absolutely yeah and i you know i'm still a relative newcomer I've, I've been writing science articles for the last three years but as far as science podcasting and the greater like online science communication sphere i joined twitter like a year ago so i'm still pretty new but i think the way i view science communication and i guess this is very much informed by you know the internet Um, centric media that is most of what I consume I Mm. know that for science communicators who write in like print or broadcasting it's super different but at least from what I've seen on the internet um, I think there are so many people who are creating amazing science communication content so many PhD students or postdocs or professors or you know scientists who care about the things they do and want to make it accessible to people and are making you know podcasts or like medium blogs or things like this where they really want to share what they have with other people um and I think that's incredible and I think what it comes down to from my perspective and this is a very like U.S. centric view of media because that's where I grew up and the media I consume is in the U.S. um I think really what it comes down to because in my mind there are so many purposes for science communication, right? You can communicate science because it's something you personally love and you want other people to engage with or, you know, learn or whatever, but it's an intrinsic thing. Like I want to do this because it it matters to me. I think that is so valid and so valuable. And I love that. And that's one of the things I love being in science communication community because there's so many people who have such cool things they want to tell people about. And I love that. Um, But I think the other purpose of science communication, and this is, you know, on the broader perspective is to, inform um the public and policymakers at the governmental level and i think this is especially important when it comes to you know things like climate change or pandemic preparedness um things that we really need the public and the government and the people in power to understand how urgent and how important these things are um 
or, you know, in the case of politics, like the voting block of people to understand and to vote accordingly. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, like, no matter what people think, like climate change is happening and we're, it's really just a question of how badly it's going to affect us based on what our governments do and how effectively they can respond. Um, so I think when you're coming from that strategic perspective of like, no, we need action. We need action now. Um, I think from that perspective, science communication needs to be a lot more targeted and a lot more um, just effective. And, and so again, this is just this is and this is a problem that I think the government or government or some. I don't know. It's, it's a big question. And this is, um, and I, I've actually applied for a PhD in media studies, um, that if I get accepted, I will be studying this specific problem mm. of how do you reach audiences? How do you reach people that don't, that aren't interested in science, that don't care about climate change, that think climate change isn't real? How do you reach them? And how do you convince them that they're wrong? You know, that climate change is happening and that it's important and that we need to create policies and change the way our world works in order to cope with this new reality. Um, and it's not an easy question and it doesn't have an easy answer, but I do think this is something we really need to think about is not only how can we reach people who care about science and are interested in science and, you know, want to learn about the world, but how can we reach people who don't care about science, who don't give a shit about the planet because we need them to vote as well. And we need them to support progressive policies that protect people and protect the environment. Um, and it it can't matter, you know? And I think this is this comes back down to like a really big problem in media just across the board is like the way media is structured um, is m most media companies. So not all, and especially Web 2.0, like we have Patreon, we have coffee, like we have different ways that audiences can support pr like producers and creators. But generally, media is supported by advertising. Social media um, video, TV, like pretty much any media you can think of, the way that those people who make that media are paid is usually by businesses or private corporations who are paying them to basically give the corporation some of that media company's audience's attention. So basically mm -hmm. like the whole idea is if you're not paying for media, you know, if you're like looking on a blog or like something that it's free for you, there's probably ads there. And so the media company, even though it's free for you, they are being paid for your attention. That corporation is paying the media company so that they can have access to your eyeballs and your brain during that span of time. So if it's a YouTube video, it's like five seconds or whatever. Um, but that's still your attention and your like space in your brain that the corporations are buying for media companies. And that's just the only way media companies can make money a lot of the time is mm. through advertising because we've created a media system where people don't expect to pay. And again, there are totally exceptions. There are magazines, there are newspapers, there are podcasts where subscribers will pay money to their creator. And I think that's incredible. I think that's where more media needs to go is subscriber supported. That's how all media used to be um, before the advent of radio. But it's, it's a system that relies on selling the attention of the audience and the consumers and the listeners. Um, and in that, you know, and so then in that industry, like when this industry is set up this way, you cannot create media. You cannot pay the people who create media unless your audience 
is actually consuming what you're saying and you can't create unpopular media because it's not going to sell, you're not going to be able to pay your people. You're going to go out of business. Um, mm. And so I think it's, it's not just a simple question of like what we should do and what I wish science communication was doing. I mean, it is that, but there's so many things at play of like, and you know, I'll come back down to capitalism of like, if the only thing that matters is making money and, you know, looking out for yourself, it's really hard to create space and have like literally pay people enough to live, to do this kind of work. That's incredibly important and will shape the future of, you know, our country and the world. Um, but we just live in a system that is so hard to do that kind of work that is so, that has so many like hoops to jump through and so many, barriers to making this thing that should be simple take take a message that's really important and give it to people who need to hear it and give it in a way that they'll actually respond to it it doesn't sound that hard but when it comes down to the reality of it of like you know who are you going to pay to do this how are you going to reach them some people don't have internet like how are like you know just really who are these people and how can we reach them and how can we inform them in a way that they still feel empowered and still want to do things and not feel kind of disenfranchised or excluded from the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. It's not an easy question and I wish I had a better answer. Um, but that's kind of my perspective of science communication is like, there are so many people doing amazing work who are expressing, you know, the things they love and communicating those to others. And that is so awesome and so empowering. But I think on the other hand, we do need really strategic, really organized, and really large-scale kind of communication endeavors that are made to reach audiences that aren't the audiences that are going to enjoy science just off the bat, you know? We need to reach people who probably have some pushback. And for some people, that's, like, a valid reason. They felt just, like, not included by scientists mm. in the past, and that's super valid. But that doesn't change the fact that our planet's still dying. Like we still need to do this work. Um, and so government support, you know, having a financial, <laughs> like a, a, a way to make money in this industry that doesn't rely on private businesses. Um, <clears throat> I think these are all things we need to do in order for that to happen. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a complex thing, but that's my two cents. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I agree with a lot of what you say. Like I've also, well, like, I think that science has a big, like, marketing problem, like, in, in that there's no <laughs> marketing. <laughs> like, when you get your research yes. funds, when you get your research funds as a scientist, most of it just goes towards doing the science and, you know, all of the mm -hmm. logistics involved in that. But there's no budget, per se, for communicating, marketing, um, your mm -hmm. science. And, and I mean, it, it's understandable why. Um, and that's why, like, it needs, like, government funding. Like like you said, like, mm -hmm. we need big media campaigns around the most important um, messages. And we need a bunch of scientists. We need a bunch of communicators, mm -hmm. um, artists, like, just a bunch of people involved to make the best possible media campaigns that we can to try and, and get the message out there. Because, I mean, startups... Um, like you and me, it takes a long time to build an audience. Like our reach mm -hmm. is not going very far, even though we would like it to. And 
if you have the money, you, you, it's a bit easier. But generally, no one starts off with a bunch of money. Um, and also expertise, access to expertise, collaborations. It, it's, it's a difficult um, endeavor. So it does need, I think, government-level mm-hmm. push if we, if we want to be serious about it. So I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Hashtag, where's the, the marketing budget <laughs> in the research funds? That's True. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And that's something I, I think about quite a bit. I mean, you know, currently I'm doing marketing for a machine learning company. That's one of the reasons I'm doing this job is because I'm trying to figure yeah. out how does marketing work? How can we use this for policy-based messages um because it is it's exactly that it's a branding and it's a marketing problem that science has that makes people not respond to it and i think that's something that with government support and funding we could absolutely work on changing um so i'm glad you think the same way (laughs) yeah it's yeah it's one of the things that keep me up at night (laughs) how do i how do i help this this problem and and yeah it's it's a lot of it is has to do with money um, and also, I mean, that, kind of the that's political why we do this, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So let's try and yeah. uh, maybe raise our spirits a bit <laughs> and talk about the magic of the mind season two, <laughs> <laughs> season two and beyond. Like, what can we expect uh, to change in, in the new season? I think you, you spoke a bit about it, but how? Okay, how would you like? Where would you like the show to be in like five, ten years time? Like, what would you like to add? What types of um, new either technologies, either people involved? Like, what would you see? Would like to see happening with the show in the future? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so it, on the long term, like, you know, my dream is to have. It's not have to do all the work myself. Is to have a team of people who are good at each of these individual tasks. To have, I probably still script, but like. To have a sound designer, an editor, to have, you know, an assistant to help schedule things um, and to really and to create, you know, things much more regularly um, because I I'm one person. I don't have the bandwidth to do it all at once. But with a team of people, we could do it at least in a, in a much um, more efficient time period. Mm. Um, I think kind of at the heart of what what I love about my show and the thing that really makes me want to keep creating it is the collaborative spirit is like collaboration with people who I think are so smart and so creative and so funny and so interesting. Um, and that's, you know, that's what I love and that's what I want to keep happening. I want to, I still want to always bring in people who feel like their ideas are valued and who are able to use this really unique format of like writing a fantasy story to communicate something that they have, been feeling um or something they've gone through or something that they just think people should like know about or like would like to tell people about um so that's kind of how i've structured season two is like each episode kind of has a collaborator like a main character um and the way kind of it's structured like behind the scenes is like the person comes in i'm like okay cool like you know what's something you want to talk about um and like what's your character look like? And so sometimes we'll brainstorm together, workshop, be like, okay, well, this is, these are the things we want to hit. So, um, a couple kind of episode topics, um, if you're interested are, uh, our first episode, we're talking about, um, discrimination and racism and biculturalism and the benefits of diversity, but basically at its heart, racism, um, 
it's an incredibly important topic that I think mm. everyone has a platform should talk about. Um, and so I'm really excited for it to come out. Um, and then we're talking about um, personal boundaries and like how <laughs> to know like what you need and how to be able to communicate that to someone else. Um, because I think that's also super important. And again, mm. these are people who came to me who were like, Hey, I have this idea. I want to write an episode about it. I'm like, let's do it. Um, doing one on like burnout and perfectionism and a lot of, you know, the internal pressures people put on themselves and kind of ways to try to overcome that, um, mm. anxiety. I mean, just a lot of things that different people have experienced, um, and trying to use, you know, everyday conflicts that, um, and trying to make something out of it and create something that hopefully at the end will be able to help someone, you know, who will listen, see themselves reflected in it. Um, and feel like they know a little bit more about themselves and hopefully are a little better equipped to deal with whatever that problem is for them, whatever that conflict is within them. Because I think, I don't know, it's very like artsy, but like, you know, everyone is constantly creating their own life, writing their own story. And so the more tools, the more like knowledge that you have, the easier it is to figure out how to solve whatever problems it is you're dealing with. Um, and so the heart of it, that's kind of what I want my show to do is I want to provide information and resources and things that not only like make people feel like they have control over, you know, the way they think and the way they engage with the world around them and the way they approach their life, but also like bring people joy because I think that's also what good entertainment and good media does, you know, is it makes you feel connected to someone or something outside of yourself. Um, it makes you feel like life has more dimensions than you had seen in your own little world. Um, and so, you know, whatever format that takes, whether it ends, you know, whether we will go to a TV show or like a YouTube, whatever, like, and I, you know, podcasting, I love podcasting. I love the connection you feel with people. And on the production side, I love mm. not having to um, color correct for 10 hours a day, like <laughs> video editors have to do. Um, so I, I don't have as much a clear vision for like, you know, what it'll look like or where it'll be in five and 10 years. But I know at the heart of it, what I want for people to come away with is to feel like there's a group of people who are their friends, you know, like fantasy characters or me or the, you know, professors we interview or whatever it is, but there's people out there looking out for them and trying to do things or trying to give something that will make them feel more empowered and like they're able to, you know, shape their own life the way they want. Cause at the end of the day, like, you know, I'm just like a content creator. Like I'm just making something. It's, it's mm. your life and you get to decide what you do with it. I just hope that I'm able to do something that is helpful and makes you feel happy. And, um, you know, if that's a long-term happiness, a satisfaction, if I'm able to give you some sort of information that, is able to make your life better in the long term. That's amazing. Like that's definitely my goal is like, I want to make people's lives better in the long term through the messages I create and through the stories I tell. Um, but even the short, like if you just want to lose yourself for like 20 minutes and just like be in a silly fantasy story, like that is still joy and joy is still hard to come by, um, in this day and age. So I just, yeah, I don't know. I want to make people happy and I want to do things that, um, make people feel good about themselves and the world they live in. Or at least better, if not good, because <laughs> our world's kind of fucked up. But um, 
at least better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a general goal for everybody to just leave the world uh, better than than you found it. And I think that's a, a good note to end the podcast on. So thanks, Morgan, for joining. It was really fun chat. Uh, but before we go, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and your work on the internet? Absolutely. If you're on Twitter, I'm on Twitter. Um, my tag is at Morgan Sweeney with three Y's. Um, that's just, that's my Twitter. Um, and then if you want to listen to Magic of the Mind, we are a podcast. We're on every podcasting platform I can think of. Um, just type in Magic of the Mind and it should pop up. We're also on Twitter at Magic of the Mind One, um, on Instagram at Magic of the Mind Pod. You could, people just use Google these days. So you can just like type magic of the mind podcast into Google and it'll probably give you like all the links you've ever mm. wanted. Um, and so, yeah. Um, so I would love, and just like reach out to me. I love making friends again. Like that's the whole reason I do this kind of work is cause I love meeting people and I love creating things with other people. So if anything I said was like interesting to you or resonated with you, feel free to reach out. Um, talk to me. I yeah. Love making new friends. And that was one of the reasons like, I was so excited to come on this podcast. Um, it's because Yanas does an amazing job, like interviewing people and finding people who do awesome work in this like really creative and like weird little niche of the internet where we do science communication, but also like entertainment. You know, it's not mm. just pure right air talk. It's like it's it's a very creative space. Um, that's a unique thing to find, and I I think we need more. <laughs> we need more of that. Um, <laughs> and hopefully, you know, we can band together and create something bigger with all of yeah. us versus just one at a yeah. time so yeah. reach out be my friend yeah. <laughs> um yeah thanks for having me oh thanks for joining yes we need more of you and me and everybody <laughs> everybody to do a bit Absolutely. more to, to like we say leave the world uh, a better place than we found it so thanks for listening everyone and we'll see you in the next episode cheers